Hi there, Grace Hart here and welcome to Beyond Domestic Violence, Trauma Transformer. Today we're talking about boundaries and if you don't create them, if you don't know what they are, what your deal breaker boundaries are and also what to do if they are pushed back on or violated, you're opening yourself up to being groomed, controlled, abused, manipulated And the thing is, guys, you know, for example, one in 20 people are psychopaths and true psychopaths. You know, we like to sort of throw things around like, oh, you know, my ex is definitely a psychopath. However, one in 20 are a true form. And these psychopaths are incredibly clever. Now, there's some overt psychopaths or narcissists, you know, you see them coming. However, today I'm really talking about the covert side of things. So, you know... Your abuser can be, as I said, use intimidations, threats, be incredibly pushy, but they can also be your best friend. They can come across as your empowerer, your supporter, a great listener. You know, it's it's as though they've put you on the top of the pile, that they're so lucky that they met you or that they're in your life. And if you're a person like myself who had done a lot of um, self-reflection and, and um, different modalities and that sort of thing, you can actually get connected to a narcissist or a covert, um, codependent narcissist, psychopath, where they actually spiritually gaslight you. And so it looks like they're on your team. And the thing about covert narcissists or covert codependents is that you don't really see them coming. In fact, you could be married to them or dating them for decades and not even know that that's what they are because everything is so underneath, you know, hidden underneath. However, if you have boundaries, it doesn't matter. If you have boundaries, that's going to annoy anyone, any perpetrator. Perpetrators do not like people with boundaries. Too much hard work. So if you can really get clear on that, if you have boundaries, you're not going to be a lot of fun for a manipulator, controller, perpetrator, abuser, psychopath. And the willingness to not only have boundaries, but be aware of what your deal breaker boundaries are. You know, some examples might be, for me, violence is totally unacceptable. doesn't matter how nice you were yesterday. If you're violent today, whether it's to me or someone else, doesn't matter. Bye-bye. Drugs of any kind, same thing. Abuse in general, uh, especially with children and animals, deal breaker for me. And then I've got an unusual one where I need to be free. My first relationship was very, very controlling with domestic violence, and so for me to feel safe, secure, and supported... I need to have that sense of freedom. Now, when you have boundaries and you're aware of the ones that, as I just said, are your you know, zero tolerance ones, you need to be aware of what you would do in advance. And role playing is great, guys. If you've got a support person or um, you know, a person that you speak to, whether it's a therapist or whatever, role playing is brilliant. Get used to... If, you know, he or she said this, this is what I'd respond with. Now, a paraphrase is brilliant. Paraphrases look like this. It's just a one-off statement that gets repeated. And if you can memorize your one-off statement, 
then you'll know. So it could look like, oh, thanks for letting me know, but that doesn't work for me. Or if you get asked out, for example, oh, that's really lovely. Um, However, I don't feel like going out tonight. And if they push back, because abusers push boundaries. Green light people, we spoke about that um, last week. They won't push back. Boundaries do not need to be explained. Boundaries are just boundaries. So the parrot phrase could look like saying one statement like, oh, that doesn't work for me. And then they push back and you say, as I've just mentioned, it doesn't work for me. Thank you. And if they push back again, you say, as I've just mentioned twice, you know, it doesn't work for me. And then you say, if you're on the phone, if there's anything else um, you want to say, otherwise I'm going to hang up now. Or if you're with them face-to-face, to say, is there anything else? Otherwise I'm going to get going. And a person that respects your boundaries, even if they really wanted you, for example, to go out that night and you said it doesn't work for me, right? They'll be like, oh, but they'd totally respect that. However, if they start to push back and make you wrong, that's a whole different ballgame. That's a red flag. When you don't have boundaries, you end up being like play, you know, for a perpetrator. They love playing with you. They love moulding you. And you truly end up losing your identity. So it's super important to have them. And, you know, an interesting thing about boundaries that I really want to talk about is boundaries are not there to for you to abuse other people. So an idea of a boundary might look like a tennis match. And they're not forcing you to, you know, not be on the phone or not talk to anyone while the game's playing. They're just saying, hey, these are the boundaries. This is what works for us as an organisation. This is what works for us as players. That we request that if you come in, you have to be quiet. You can't have your phone on. You can't chat to the person next to you when the players are playing. So there's a spaciousness around it. You don't feel like, oh, yuck, twisted. How dare they make me do that? You don't have that feeling. You're like, yeah, totally respect that. If I choose to be at the tennis match, they're your, they're your boundaries. Got it. So when you have boundaries, it's got to have that same kind of cleanness around it. It's not, these are my boundaries. If you loved me, you would do it. Or if you loved me, you would not do that. That's actually abuse and manipulation and control and you exerting power. That's not a boundary. Boundaries have this spaciousness that just say, you know, hey, these are my boundaries. And it's got nothing to do with if there was a conflicting boundary. So, for example, I had a client and she, she rang me up and she said, you know, I've got this real problem. I love, I love my daughter. However, she asked me a question and when I responded, she said, Mom, I don't want you to use those words. I find them really upsetting. And this lady's response was, well, you asked me to respond and, you know, you know I say those sort of words. So, you know, I feel like if, I, if you're getting me to not say those swear words you're controlling me. And so she contacted me about this and I use the example a lot of six and nine. So if you know, if I drew a number six in the ground in front of me and someone was standing in front of me looking at me 
and they looked down at the number, they would see a nine. And both of us are correct. And this is where boundaries aren't about right and wrong. Boundaries are just choice. And if it works for you, great. If it doesn't, then great. So I said to her, do you want to have a relationship with your daughter? Is, is that something that's contributing to you? And she said, oh, absolutely. And I said, well, then it's just like the tennis match. You know, I'm sure people would love to go into a tennis match and be able to look at the person next to them and go, oh, my gosh, and look at that, and that was a great shot, and, or answer phone calls or whatever. They, you know, they may love to do that. But they're not allowed to because the boundary set up is to protect everyone that's organising the event and the players, right? So you do have to put aside certain things. Now, I never used to swear until my mid-30s. I never said a single swear word, right? And I started swearing. And I've got a girlfriend of mine who's very proper and she does not like swearing. She's been a dear friend of mine. She is absolutely beautiful value. We create beautifully together. She's a beautiful person. So I choose to be mindful of my swearing when I'm in her presence. And that's the difference between being controlled, feeling like you're being controlled, or that's actually their request, and I'm willing to actually do that because I value the relationship. So I'm not feeling whenever I speak to my friend, oh, I can't be me, you know, I can't swear, and and if she truly cared about me, she would allow me to swear, you know, she mustn't be a very good friend. These are all the things that we do where we think we're fighting for our boundaries, but we're actually not generating and creating. We're choosing to use our boundaries as a weapon against a person or against yourself or a way to abuse. So that's something that's super, super important. Please don't use boundaries as a weapon. Don't use boundaries to form judgments of other people. You know, if I've got this boundary, therefore I'm so significant and I'm so, you know, right. And, um, you know, there's a, there's a power there. That's not what I'm talking about with boundaries. You know, when a tennis organisation says, hey, you've got to turn your phone off or you go to the opera and they say, you know, turn your phone off, they're not abusing you. There's no funk around it. It's just this is what's required if you want to enjoy this. And it's the same thing with friendships, whether it's with your daughter, whether it's with your lover. There are going to be boundaries that you have. And imagine, you know, if... Um, you know, using the tennis example, if they went, okay, just that one person can be, be talking on their phone during the event or can be, you know, loud and chat to their, their friends during the, the tennis game. What is that going to do? What is that going to create? And it's the same thing. If you start dropping your boundaries or if you get a pushback and, you know, when you say this is my boundary and, the, and they push you back as in it could look like, minimizing oh come on you're overreacting you know or I didn't mean it that way or or surely just this once you know if there's a pushback from that person you've actually got to have enough awareness to go wow that's a pushback they're not actually respecting my boundaries and again it's not about defending or fighting it's awareness like cool okay so going back to this lady and her daughter she chose to have a, keep having a relationship with her daughter. And I said, so then you've just got to be mindful that your swearing affects your daughter. And, you, you know, you've just got to respect that. And if you don't want to, if you want to make her wrong, what's that going to generate and create for your relationship? Now, of course, if it's a situation where you're with someone and what they're asking you not to do or to do is an absolute violation of your boundaries, 
you know, with my girlfriend, I don't feel violated or my boundaries are violated that I can't swear in front of her. It's just a choice. No different to, you know, kids when they're dating and they go around to the other parent's home, you know, they're probably not going to use the same language they do in the schoolyard, right? It's actually choosing to be a, a way that is respectful and is going to generate and create for you and everyone. So when you're willing to have these boundaries, you're not going to find yourself even in the presence of a perpetrator. You're just going to be boring to them. They're not going to like you, as I said before, way too much hard work, right? So just you having boundaries puts out an energetic self-defense that the perpetrator knows, oh, too hard, they're going to see me, I'm not going to be able to control them, they're going to make life, you know, hell for me, they're going to expose me, not going to, you know, no, no, go pick someone else. Because be, be aware, perpetrators have, especially psychopaths and sociopaths, they have an innate ability, a superpower, where they can sniff out the vulnerable. And I want to talk to you a little bit about vulnerabilities, but just so you're aware, one in 20 people, you know, they are psychopaths, true psychopaths, as I said. So they can appear, you know, very charming. They can appear, um, you know, overtly rude. Um, They can be friendly. They can show no remorse. They can be emotional. They can be social. They can be, you know, they can be a whole lot of things. And the pathological psychopaths or the pathological covert narcissists, um, the one thing about them is they will mirror your deepest desires. So, you know, one of my long-term relationships was with someone with that energy and they actually gave me the perfect relationship. And, you know, it was peaceful. I could do whatever I wanted to. I felt free. There was no yelling Uh, There was no abuse. It was absolutely beautiful. But bear in mind, if you've got a spiritual gaslighter, you know, covert narcissist, for example, there's always a payoff and you've got to be willing to see the unsighted. And sometimes it's never what you think. It might not even come into your reference point what it is. So I want to speak to you about the, um, I read this amazing article. It was the Australasian Journal of Correctional and Development, Staff Development, and it's created for uh, correctional staff in in in, um, in you know jails etc. And they talked about the four risk factors for manipulation because there's a higher percentage of psychopaths, sociopaths etc. in the prison system, of course. And the guards are you know, but they need to be mindful of um, and all staff, whether they're doctors or whatever, they need to be mindful of being manipulated by these really clever. Um, sophisticated at times criminals. So they talked about four things and um, I really felt it was related to our life as well, not just people who work in the, the, in the, the prison systems. The first one is situation. Are you exposed to these sort of people? Now, that could be that you're in a caring role. If you're a counsellor, you're going to be exposed to these sort of people. You know, if you're in the self-help industry, you're going to be exposed to these sort of people. If you go, you know, out late at night and you're out from, you know, um, most attacks happen between 11 and uh, 3 in the morning. So if you're out during that time, your exposure is higher to connecting with some of these people. 
If you go out drinking a lot late at night, you're exposing yourself. So, you know, if you work in an environment um, where it's, you know, maybe political or, um, you know, um, judges or that sort of stuff, you know, committees, you're going to expose yourself to these sort of people because these sort of people like power, right? Law enforcement, uh, courts, etc. So if you're in these industries, you're going to be exposed to potentially these sort of people. The second one is personality. Now, I've said, you know, in, in my previous podcast, all abusers have an ability to sniff out certain people. And every single time, every single time without failure, if you've been abused or chosen by a perpetrator, it's because you had these traits, personality traits. And they look like you're kind, compassionate, you're ethical, you have a sense of fairness, you're positive, you can see possibilities, you're hopeful, you may be a problem solver, you like to see results, maybe a perfectionist or a peacemaker, where you strive for um, independence for people. Believe it or not, <laughs> that exposes you to manipulation and control if you don't have boundaries. The third one is attitude. And interestingly enough, they talk about if you're self-assured and complacent, like, oh yeah, you know, I know that there's psychopaths in the prison or I know that I come into contact with I can see them coming, I've got this. Or you feel superior, as though you, you've got all the rightness, you've worked them all out. That's actually going to put you open to being abused. And the last one they talk about is vulnerability, but not vulnerability in the general sense. Vulnerability in that you've never been abused before. If you haven't had a lot of experience of knowing these people exist, you know, for me, I thought everyone was as honest as I was, as kind as I was. I thought everyone didn't judge like I didn't judge to the capacities that I, I mean, of course, there's judgment there, but to the capacities of most people, how they judge. I thought everyone saw possibilities. And it's just not true. There are people out there, one in 20, for example, and the rates are higher for, you know, the other disorders. And mental health is affecting all of us. And my interesting point of view is if we don't become a trauma-informed society real fast, we're in trouble. There are so many people, my belief, my interesting point of view is it's the high 90s that have mental trauma or uh, mental health issues. We used to think mental health issues was the more high spectrum issues, you know, schizophrenia and um, all those sort of really um, where you think, oh, that's obvious, they need assistance, that's mental health. Well, my interesting point of view is mental health is just like your mental state. So we all are affected by whether it's COVID and how it's affecting our family and our friendships and our business, social media you know, um, financial changes due to COVID, for example. So there's so many things that can create pressure on our mental health. Whereas we have a, we tend to have a thing of, oh, mental health. No, there's nothing wrong with me mentally. I'm just a bit stressed. There's nothing wrong with me mentally. And I'm here to say is maybe have a look at this. Now, when you have that vulnerability that you have never been conned, or it might be, that you have lack of support. You know, you weren't brought up with um, parents that could have your back. 
you know, my parents, uh, my dad's a beautiful man and my mum did the best she could. And so it's, it's not about making someone right or wrong, but there's an acknowledgement that my mum didn't have boundaries, so she didn't teach me boundaries. And so when I got into a domestic violence relationship, instead of her actually being able to have my back and say, whoa, this guy's abusive, you know, beep, 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 let's get out of here. Because she didn't have, she wasn't taught boundaries herself. She didn't deliver them to me. She didn't teach them to me. And then because I didn't have them, I found myself vulnerable because I didn't have support in my family to say no to this person. Now, I've made it really clear to my daughters, well, my daughters, I've only got one, <laughs> my kids, that I'm going to be there for them. And I'm so proud of myself because what I've realized is if you don't have your own back, you cannot have the backs of your kids or anyone else. And it's the same thing with boundaries. Boundaries are a really interesting thing. If I've got good boundaries, that can actually filter down that if there's a perpetrator coming, let's say, you know, someone wants to date my daughter and they're a psychopath, right? And they come over. I'm going to see them. Now, let's just pretend that my daughter doesn't have boundaries, which of course is not the case. She's got really good ones. But let's just pretend she was like I was when I was little or a young adult. It will most likely be enough that if the perpetrator knows that my daughter and I have a good relationship and that I see him, that's usually enough for that perpetrator to disappear. And that's why it takes a village. And that's a beautiful thing. You know, you could be outside, um, you know, at a beach, for example, and let's say there's some kids playing, and then you see this guy to the right taking photos. Now, if you didn't, if you weren't willing to ha- recognize what your boundaries are and feel when they're, they're, there's someone around that could potentially violate them, even if it's not coming to you, just in your midst, you will sense it. And I had this experience and I looked at this guy and I just knew he wasn't taking photos of the beach. He was taking photos of children. And so I looked at him with an energy of exposure. I see you. And very, very quickly he moved away. Now, he could have moved away, you know, a kilometer down the beach and still kept doing it. But at least I had the back of myself. I could recognize Someone around here is, I could feel my boundaries being like touched. And so I scanned and because of me willing to have my back and being aware of my boundaries, there were people, that children there that didn't get affected or potentially taken or whatever it was, right? So it is something that is not only important for you, it will actually filter down to your family, it'll protect your family, and also you'll be able to truly contribute to society as well because your eyes are wide open. Now, of course, the ideal is to educate your children because, you know, you you can't be with your children 24-7. The best thing you can do is teach your kids to be aware. You know, I've I've taught my children to be aware, to not expect that everyone is is as kind as them, or as caring as them, or as generous as them. Unfortunately, there are people out there that are incredibly harmful and you need to be able to smell them out. And boundaries is one of the best ways to smell them out. Because as I said, if you're willing, when they push back, if you're willing to say that, I'm sorry, um, 
look, obviously your boundaries are different to mine. I respect that, and you know, uh, you know, have your have your um, parrot phrase or whatever it is. You will know. Okay, this is not a person that's kind. Now, I did talk about green light, amber light, red light personalities, and so it's really good to incorporate that. And I have said before, this is just signpost stuff. It's not for you to go, they're a green light person, they're a red light person. It's just important for you to go, wow, okay, I, you know, mentioned my boundaries and they've pushed back and they're actually saying things that are um, trying to manipulate me or groom me or control me. I can see that. And so straight away, you're you're willing to look at that and go, yeah, bye-bye. I don't choose to work with someone or date someone or be with someone that's not willing to have an open communication when boundaries are violated. And a green light person, you know, even if they have a bad day or whatever, they're, they're willing to self-reflect. They're willing to say, listen, I'm really sorry. You know, I had an unconscious moment. Please forgive me. Is there anything I can do to make up for that? And the difference with green light people is that when something happens and they realise they've made a mistake... They apologise, like I just said, but they don't do it again. If you have someone violating and they say, oh, honey, I'm so sorry, I won't do that again, and they do, that's where you've got to have your back, no matter how nice they are, to say, wow, I'm actually not dealing with a green light personality here. I'm dealing with an abuser. Now, and when I say that, I talk about in terms of abusers and perpetrators because this is a mainstream channel I'm talking about beyond domestic violence. However, I do wish to say it's one thing to acknowledge someone is mean. An acknowledgement is not a judgment. An acknowledgement is not a conclusion. An acknowledgement is just saying, right now, I'm sitting in a home in a forest. I'm acknowledging that. I'm not judging it. I'm just acknowledging it. That's what's true right now. I'm in a forest. It's true. There's spaciousness around that statement. So it's the same thing when you say, oh, right now that person is choosing to manipulate me. It's an acknowledgement. If you make, turn it into a judgment or a conclusion, then you won't see if they have the capacity to change and you won't be able to see if they have the capacity to get worse because once you conclude something, it stays stuck in that and then you fight for the rightness of that point of view, right? The other thing that I just want to tap on and it's somewhat related to boundaries is the three phases that most sociopaths, psychopaths, narcissists, etc. do. And the first stage is idealization or love bombing. And what that looks like, you know, if it's in a business relationship, it's like, oh my gosh, I was waiting for you to show up. You know, I'm so grateful. I, I could not take this business where I wanted to take it without you. And, the, and that actually might be true. And this is the sort of gaslighting element where they tend to, gaslighting is saying something truthful with a lie attached. You know, and so, and it, it can turn into, idealization doesn't have the gaslighting element yet. That happens in the next stage, but, that, but it's the setup for it. So they've told you how amazing you are, how grateful they are, you know, example that, you know, you've been brought into the business. If it's a relationship, it's like, oh my gosh, I've been waiting for someone like you my whole life. You know, you're so beautiful. You're so amazing. Um, you know, what you're doing with your job, I, you know, I'm blown away. Um, you know, I, how did I get so lucky kind of energy. And also love bombing can be, you know, really fast tracks. So be aware of relationships that go super fast. 
Um, and again, you've got to have awareness because sometimes it is okay. I've got a friend of mine uh, who's been married, you know, nearly 50 years and they met and married real quick. You know, they just knew. So it's, it is about following the energy and not concluding. These are just guidelines. So you can sort of have them in your awareness. Is this relationship going too fast? And, you know, is he um, love bombing me to the point of, um, you know, continually texting me, wanting to know where I am, um, you know, all that sort of thing. And you could see it as he just, he just loves me so much or she just loves me so much. And, you know, you've got to be aware. I mean, funny story, I'll just tell you. I dated this guy, a lovely guy, and um, he wasn't a sociopath or anything like that. However, what he was was jealous. And jealousy doesn't work for me. Um, I don't buy into that. It's not fun. And so I just said to him, look, you're an amazing guy and I'm so grateful for the time we've had together. However, this jealousy thing, it just doesn't work for me. And I'm sure that other people might, you know, find it really nurturing and that you really care. But for me, it makes me feel suffocated and it doesn't work for me. So we broke up. Anyway, um, it was quite some time later, he rang me up and he just said, I just want to apologize. And I said, why? And he said, oh my gosh, I just dated a girl and she was so jealous and it was the most horrible experience. And I did not realize what you were talking about when you talked about me being jealous. And so I'm just letting you know, thanks to what you said and thanks to my experience with this um, girl. And she was beautiful in so many other ways, but she had this jealousy I, I now get it and I'm going to change that behavior. So, you know, this is the beautiful thing. We're not perfect. You know, it's about a willingness to change. And if you're not with someone that's willing to self-reflect, if they keep on deflecting problems back to you, that's a huge red flag, right? And there are people out there, guys, please. I've got friends. I haven't dated anyone like that yet. However, I know that there are people out there, males and females. I've, I've got friendships with them that they are not amber people, they are not um, red light people. And I actually made the choice, and maybe this is an invitation for you, I looked at my friends and family and asked, you know, if I fired them all and was going to rehire them and rehire them with the knowledge of green light personalities and for them to be empowering and spacious and kind and generous and you know, there's a freedom there and there's no judgment there and I can show up as who I am and they're able to talk to me about things that maybe, you know, I could grow with and, um, you know, not in a judgy way and we just empower each other like, wow, you know, they exist. Okay, so the second stage is the devaluing. Now, when I talk about the second stage, it's not like you do the first stage of love bombing, idealization, and then it's just... um, on to the next stage. No, the, these tend to flip. Um, you tend to have a little bit of both going on. So the devaluing is a really interesting one. It can be really overt um, where you're just, oh, you know, look, I don't really want to hear your point of view. Um, you know, you're just, you're just devalued. You know, don't speak. I don't want, you, I don't want to hear you, etc. But then there's also the devaluing, which is really subtle, which is it can look like, hey, do you want to go out for dinner tonight? And you go, Sure. And then they don't ring to sort it out. Or if they ring, they leave a bit of time. And then when, they, when, when you ring them or they ring you, it's like, oh, yeah, you know. And it's just this kind of, oh, do they really want me there? You know, am I a value there? Um, you can get ignored. Um, 
you know, not, there's not a real engagement with you. So the devaluing can be a whole lot of things, but ultimately where, what it leaves you with the feeling of is not good enough and a sense of wrongness. And this kind of weird feeling as though you shouldn't be there, <laughs> like you weren't invited, like you've come to a party that where you weren't invited. It's that kind of weird feeling. And then the third one is discard. Now, depending on the psychopathy, um, you know, the discard can look like if, if you're with a, um, you know, pathological psychopath or sociopath, the discard could look like I'm going to pick a day that's really important to you, like your birthday or the day your mum passed or, you know, um, or the day that you're, you know, launching your book or um, whatever, they'll, they'll, or a day that you've just given birth or whatever it is, they'll pick a day and time that is of significance or stress for you and they'll do it then because they want to create leverage on pain. They like that. And then there's just the rest of them that are just aren't very nice people and the discard could look like ghosting. It could look like not, really, you know, not returning phone calls straight away, um, not, not really listening to you, not really responding to you. So those three things, be aware of those. It's super important. Another thing that's really important is, and I hope you hear me on this because it was the biggest aha for me, if you have any resistance or reaction show up when you're stating your boundaries, that is a way that your body and being is letting you know that you do not feel safe, secure and supported. You are with someone that is not able to give you that safety, security and support. And if it's a green light person who's just having a bad day, then you'd be able to say to them, hey, I'm feeling like you're not respecting my boundaries, can we talk about this later? And they'll just go, oh, absolutely, sorry, I'm tired or whatever. And they'll generally give you an excuse or a reason, but they don't mean it that way. Um, They're just super kind people. And as they grow and learn, it would more be an energetic of not going into wrongness and just saying, hey, yeah, sorry, you know, like it's not a pathetic sorry or I'm so wrong and bad. It's like they actually acknowledge what you just said. Yeah, actually, I have just stepped over your boundaries. I apologise. You know, yeah, I'm happy to talk about it later. When you're with an amber or red personality, you're not going to get that. And so start to recognise when you feel weird and wonky with people. Because generally speaking, you won't feel weird and wonky with green light personalities or green flag personalities. It'll be very rare. However, as I said, you could be with a covert narcissist and you could be with them for 10 years and everything be fantastic and the most beautiful relationship ever. But if you actually start to wake up or you start to develop boundaries, you're going to soon find out that you will be devalued and discarded because you're no longer working for them. The payoff's not worth it if they have to deal with you having boundaries. <laughs> it was great when they, you could control them with your positivity and or whatever it was, um, but now you're too much hard work. The other thing that can happen is when you, if you were traumatised in yourself, and of course if you're in a DV relationship, there's definitely trauma there, whether it's childhood trauma, you know, PTSD or uh, chronic PTSD, etc. right? And the funny thing is when you have trauma in your body and experience trauma, 
When you develop boundaries, it feels the opposite of what it is. And what I mean by that is you will feel selfish. You will feel powerful as in not a good way. You'll feel like you're controlling them. And your people pleasing might come into it to an extent where um, you violate your own boundaries because you don't want them to be upset or you want to please them or because they've been so lovely to you for so long, etc., whatever it is. However, please know that if you feel any form of anxiety or guilt or you feel uneasy expressing yourself to somebody, that's already letting you know who you're talking with is not going to respect your boundaries. You're aware of it already and hence why you're feeling uncomfortable. Now, separate to this, it's it's important to, you know, not everyone's a psychopath. <laughs> and of course, I'm talking at this higher level because it's, a, you know, about violence. However, generally speaking, just people in the real world that just have different personalities and some of them don't think and some of them are selfish and some of them are mean. So it's letting you know if you have... Um, that going on it's super important for you to look at all you know the six and the nine um everything's a co-creation you know i know and it's not about asking for abuse you know please don't buy into that Uh, it's not true it's just being aware that when you don't have boundaries what does that create and what it creates is an ability for people to violate them or to groom you into what they would like you to have So it's not like you're asking to be abused. However, what I really want to get you to focus on is creating your life. And creating your life, part of that is acknowledging where you're at. And that might be acknowledging, okay, I've got trauma. And right now I'm I'm not safe to have a relationship. And it's not going to be kind to, to have a relationship with someone else right now until I shift this. That might be true for you. It might be true for you that you spend a lot of time, you know, I talk about disenfranchised parts versus being in the centre of the flower. Uh, Centre of the flower is you're being you. Disenfranchised parts are like the petals. They're still connected to you, but they're not. They're just like um, recordings of past events and they can hijack you. And so if you're the sort of person that, you know, when your boundary gets violated, you jump onto the petal and you become a bully or you become, you know, an abuser yourself, you need to look at that. And when I say look at it, not from a wrongness, from a place of a map. It's like, oh, I'm in Australia. You know, I normally say I'd like to go to Paris, but I really don't, no disrespect to Paris, but I had a very bad experience in Paris um, with who I was with, not Paris. Paris is beautiful in itself. And so I don't choose to really go to Paris that often, right? Um, So you can acknowledge, it's like, okay, I'm in Australia and where would I like to travel to? I wouldn't want to go here and I would like to go here. So it's not about um, feeling victimized, like, oh, I'm, I'm a victim and therefore I can't go to Paris. It's choice, you know, because I might actually connect with somebody and they say, hey, you know, um, there's this great event over in Paris. Do you want to come? And it might actually generate great for me to go to Paris. So I'm not against going. Whereas if you make your boundaries strict and rigid, then you're going to miss out. You're going to say, no to going to Paris because of a bad experience. And what I'd love for you to know is if you have boundaries and you're willing to create with them, 
you're going to know when you can go places, when you can't, from an awareness, from a, what it's going to generate and create for you. One clear sign that your boundaries or that you need boundaries is that if you're feeling overwhelmed, if you feel resentful towards people for asking you for your help, if you avoid phone calls or interactions with people who might ask for something, if you sort of um, you know, find yourself crawling away or backing off when you see someone like needing or, ne- or, or is needy. <laughs> Um, the the beautiful thing is if you recognize this, you know, you might feel burnt out. You might – another one that's interesting is is frequently daydreaming. Um, it's, it's something that I didn't realize about trauma. If you go to bed at night and before you go to bed you sort of think about positive things, and I'm not talking about a spacious, generative – you know, let me let me put some energy into my business or I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about actually having fantasies or daydreaming about something that makes you feel good. It's actually a self-soothing technique for trauma survivors. And, you know, I, I had no idea about that. And it's similar if, you're, if you don't have strong boundaries, you will have daydreams of what you would like your life to be like. And usually that's a form of disassociation as well. And the other one, obviously, is you know, no time, having no time for yourself. If you feel like you're avoiding, avoiding is a clear sign that you're, you don't have good boundaries, where you feel like you're disappearing or ignoring people or cutting people off or not responding, excuse me, not responding to requests, you know, failing to show up. And avoidance is, it's a, it's a passive-aggressive way of saying, I'm tired, <laughs> I don't want to... Um, do this I don't want to play you know Um, so just be aware of those and you know the the beautiful thing about boundaries is when you get when you have rigid ones and please look at the one look at this if you've got rigid boundaries that's not only putting a wall between anyone assisting you it's also putting a wall between you and everyone So in other words, if you want to have clients, if you want to get out there and make a difference and you've got these rigid boundaries, they're not going to see you and you're not going to see them. And um, so it's an unkindness. So rigid boundaries are like, I'm not going to share anymore. I've had enough, you know, building walls and avoiding vulnerability, avoiding, you know, like I could easily have um, edited out. I just did a burp before. It's like, it's okay. We all burp. It's fine. But if I had a real problem with it or whatever, it's, you know, embarrassed, I don't have that point of view. So it's it's super important for you to be vulnerable and say, yeah, I mess up sometimes. I'm not going to get it right all the time. I'm going to make mistakes. However, I'm willing to look at this and not from a wrongness. So it's okay to say, I'm tired. I'm sorry, I can't help you right now. I'm exhausted. It's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to have difficult conversations. Now, when I say that in respect to d- domestic violence, absolutely do not have a conversation with an abuser if, if you're not safe. And generally speaking, if, if they are, um, you know, if you're in a domestic violence relationship, my, my suggestion, and I'm not an expert, is please go and find a trauma-informed specialist and let them assist you in how to communicate or if, in fact, you, it's worth it at all. If you're with, a, for example, a um, pathological psychopath, the worst thing you can do is therapy. 
they love going to therapy for a couple of times because they want to get their clipboard out and write down all the things that upset you the most so they can make sure they do it again and again and again. Psychopaths, they don't want to change. They're never wrong. It's all your fault. And if you don't do what they want, they discard you. So if you're in a domestic violence with a um, true psychopath, please get help because there's nothing you can do to change that person and you need to safely extract yourself from that relationship and there's ways to do it. I've done it. You know, stonewalling, sorry, not stonewalling. Um, I've gone blank on the name, but oh, grey rocking. I knew there was a rock or a stone in there. <laughs> uh, one of the, one of the um, ways is grey rock. In other words, you just become really boring, you know, and I, I, I probably took it a bit too far. I put on 30 kilos. I became unattractive, you know, and, and boring and hopeless and useless. And so he felt really amazing. So there's strategies you can have in place where you, they just get bored with you and they can feel superior and leave. Because um, don't forget, they, they do the discarding. You need them to do the discarding. Um, so there's, there's techniques that your counsellor, if they're trauma-informed, please get a trauma-informed counsellor. They will assist you in how to leave safely, whether it's a sociopath, a narcissist, whatever, they will have the tips and tools to let you know what to do with that. Super important. So what do healthy boundaries look like? Well, they look like being clear about your values, you know, clear about what works for you, what doesn't work for you. And, and, an, and a willingness to have your back on your zero-tolerance boundaries. The other thing is you listen to what's true for you. You're, you're okay sharing with others appropriately. When you're, trauma in, when you're traumatized, sometimes what can happen is you overshare. So if you've got an oversharing thing going on, that's, that's a highlight that there's boundaries there. And usually you overshare because there's a sense of innate wrongness in you that you feel like you have to. Like I'll never, <laughs> I'll never forget, usually when I cancel appointments, I have to let them know I'm cancelling because. And I remember years ago now, it was the very first step I cancelled an appointment. I, I just rang up and I said, oh, hi, it's so-and-so and I just want to cancel my appointment, thanks. And they went, no worries. And I got off the phone and I went, oh, my gosh. It was just such a different experience. So it's the same thing when you set up boundaries and you actually, you know, I had an incident with um, a, a person in my life and and it was just so great. It was so great to go, these are my boundaries and actually that you're showing me that you're an amber personality and that doesn't work for me, bye-bye. And it's not about bye-bye separation. I still energetically am connected to this person, right? It's about just choosing what works for you and what doesn't work for you. And as I said, if you've got trauma, that's when it kind of goes dysfunctional, like you feel like you're mean for having boundaries or you're more worried about upsetting them or, or saying communicating your boundary in a way that doesn't hurt them. And all these things are really red flags that you need to work on your boundaries. It's got to be, and this is where role-playing is great, you know, it's got to be the, say, the, the energy of just going, there's a tree, there's a flower, there's my boundaries. Just like with the tennis match, it's like if you want to come in, yep, you've got to turn your phone off. There's just a spaciousness right? So if you look at those healthy boundaries, you, you realize that um, when you have them, you're, you're going to have certain people that are going to um, come back at you and test those boundaries. And what that can look like, so if you say, um, you know, uh, oh, thanks for inviting me out, but it doesn't work for me to go out tonight, right? That's the, you've just stated a boundary. 
Now, one of the things can happen is a pushback. Oh, come on. You know, you haven't been out with us for such a long time. So pushbacks. Two can be limit testing. Now, limit testing is like a dog on a mat, you know, on your mat and then the little paw comes out and then, you know, half the, before you know it, half the body's off and then when you turn back, there's no dog on the mat anymore, right? So that's, um, you, you've got to be really, you know, back on the mat, back on the mat. And, and of course, when I, I'm using a dog analogy, of course, that's a, a little bit different because if you are, if that person keeps pushing back, you don't want to have the relationship where you're going back on the mat, back on the mat. These are my boundaries. These are my boundaries. That's freaking exhausting. So as soon as you get that they're not changing, in other words, you say this is important to me and it is one of your stronger boundaries and they don't respect that, that's already an amber red flag and I'd be really looking at that. Um, don't look at relationships, whether they're business or personal, through rose-coloured glasses um, this is, you know, that's what makes you vulnerable. That was one of the things, right? Where you just want to see La La Land. It's like, oh, but they're so great in this and this and this way. It doesn't matter because eventually that abuse, and really it starts straight away, but eventually it's going to get to the point where you're going to realize all that positive stuff was mainly a grooming and it might not even be who they are depending on the pathologicalness of the person, Right. And eventually that's gonna you're gonna realise actually what's true is the abuse and the other is not true. It's not real. So um, don't let them test your limits. Don't don't let them push you. You know, uh, like an example might be um, uh, there's I know somebody who just absolutely won't watch anything that's violent in any way. Um, even even basic actual violence, right? In movies. And this person that they met just said, hey, this is a great movie. And so she sat down and she thought it was going to be this great movie. But as soon as the opening um, scenes come, she knew that it was going to be a violent action movie. And so she said, oh, look, that doesn't work for me. And it's like, oh, no, 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 it's not, it's not like bad like, like that. You know, just give it, give it five minutes. And so she actually chose to give it five minutes. But when she was sitting there, she felt worse and worse and worse because what was happening was that limit testing. Because what was true for her is I don't watch those sort of films. Um, she gets affected by them and it hurts her. That's, that's what's true for her. It doesn't create and generate. The third thing that can happen when you state your boundaries is you get ignored. So silent treatment, you know, that's, one, that's another one. Ignoring and silent treatment are, are, are different energies, but you, you can get them. You get what I mean by them. And then the other one is rationalising. You know, like, for example, my dad, when he wasn't, he was very close to dying, um, a person came in and said, come on, let's get you out. And this person had the point of view of, I want to have a private conversation with you. Um, I want to maybe groom you myself. Um, I want to um, have control here, but I'm going to pretend it's all about you. I'm going to pretend that um, it's because, you know, you've been inside a lot and it'll be nice to get out and and see some things and, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to covertly control you. And so my dad turned around and said, no, I'm, I, I don't want to go out. And this person said, and this is the rationalising in questions, you go out to the doctors, you go out to get your hair cut, you go out to shop, so how come you can't come out with me? And that is a direct and overt way of, or covert way, <laughs> and it goes into guilt right? And so my father chose to go out. And when he got, went out, he was then exposed to grooming. He was exposed to 
um, you know, having no boundaries, being controlled, being manipulated because he wasn't able to in that moment. And of course he wasn't able to. He's not well. He's not a well man. So this is where, you know, that's another vulnerability too. If you're not well at the time, um, abusers can really push back then and take advantage of you. So, you know, if you've just had a baby, um, as I said, you could have be launching a product, you could be doing lots of things, and that really exposes you. The other one is defensiveness. It's like, don't you care about me? You know, we haven't gone out for ages. I thought we were friends. You know, that's the sort of stuff. And then ghosting, you know about that, right? And um, another thing, too, that can kind of make you feel a bit wonky is acceptance, and acceptance, you know, a lot of people confuse acceptance and allowance. And acceptance has this energy of, you're wrong, but I'll accept that. And it just makes you question your, it's a, a little bit like gaslighting. It makes you question that you, you said no to them. So an example might be, you know, I, oh, okay, well, I accept that you, you know, obviously you're tired and, you know, obviously, you know, and sort of just saying things that kind of make you feel like, meh. So that's, that's another thing too. And the other thing that um, I'd love you to get is you have rights. Even the kookaburras are laughing. I don't know whether you can hear them in, in the background there. You have rights. And one of the rights is to be happy. Thanks, kookaburra. You know, to have joy and laughter in your life. That's a right. And actually I might list a couple of rights for you just so you can be aware. So I'm going to talk about rights in a relationship Um so you have the right to your own needs and feelings. They're important as everyone else's. You have the right to experience what you experience. You have the right to express your opinion. You have the right to decide what your priorities are. You have the right to be independent. You have the right to decide how you spend your time. You have the right to change yourself, your behaviours, your values, your situation, your life. You have the right to change your mind. You have the right to make mistakes. You have the right to develop and express talents and interests. You have the right to choose who you spend time with and what you do with your time. You have the right to know about your body, what it needs, what it doesn't need, what it likes, what it doesn't like, who it likes to be with, who it doesn't like to be with. You have the right to... Um, be treated with dignity and respect. You have the right to be listened to. You have the right to ask for what you'd like. And you've got the right to say no. You've got the right to set boundaries, set limits on what works for you and what doesn't work for you. Because the one thing I've realised, guys, if you don't feel safe, secure and supported in your relationship, then you're in trouble. Straight up, maybe ask yourself, the person that I'm with, do I feel safe, secure and supported? And not from a judgment, just from an awareness. And when you get that, and it might be that you've just, you know, realised or you knew all along that the person you're with maybe isn't the greatest choice. And yeah, you may love them. And there's a good chance that you're addicted to the love bombing because the abuse doesn't start straight away. And love bombing's a real thing. It's as addictive as any other drug. You know, it's one of the reasons why it takes, you know, an average of seven times to leave. 
But if you can just maybe be open to the acknowledgement, wow, even though this guy or girl's great, I just asked myself, do I feel safe, secure and supported with them? And it's a no. And then the other thing might surprise you. And that is who you would choose in a relationship. The interesting thing about trauma is you get addicted to cortisol. You get addicted to stress patterns. And so when that changes, if you meet someone that isn't going to give you stress, that isn't going to bring up your cortisol, in a weird way what happens is you feel wrong. You feel like something's wrong. But what it is, is that you're not with someone who is being a way that causes you stress and being a way that causes you anxiety or, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. You know, I read once um, a meme that, um, I can't remember the exact words, but it, it was like, yeah, it's like when you traumatize, when something good shows up, that's when you go into fear and anxiety because it's not normal. It's not a reference point you know or a reality you know. What you know is abuse, defending your life, keeping you or your kids safe, constant um, you know, hypervigilance, always on the watch. And so then if you meet somebody that doesn't do that, it can actually feel wrong and it can even feel boring because you're addicted to the cortisol, you're addicted to the stress, you're addicted to the trauma. In fact, a lot of traumatized people, especially if you've, if you've had childhood trauma, have issues with boredom. And it's not boredom generally. You need to ask the question, of course, because it can be a bunch of things. But generally speaking, that boredom's there because there's no stress. And so it's a new way of being. And a lot of people think, oh, that person's boring. But it might be that, no, that person's not boring. That person's kind. And, you know, I've, I've heard someone say, if you see someone on the other side of the room and it's like, oh, our eyes locked and there was just this attraction, run away. <laughs> and I do tend to think that, you know, the ones that you've got this real charge and really like, oh, my gosh, be aware that that could be because of an addiction, addiction pattern. And you're, addi- and you're addicted and stimulated by the awareness that this person's going to give you the hit of cortisol the hit of adrenaline, the hit that you're used to when you were either in, you know, your mother's womb or, you know, during your life or whatever it was that you had the stress. So it is about changing that. And, you know, that that was an interesting place for me because I was I went through decades of dealing with high cortisol and hypervigilance and disassociation and trauma and I went through years of that. And then it changed and I remember, um, I think I've shared it with you guys, but waking up one morning going, oh my God, what's, what, what is this? And it was actually that I was happy and it was such a weird feeling. 
And then what has been happening since is, you know, like actually it happened today. I woke up and you get this feeling like, oh, something really good's going to happen. And it's actually not necessarily true that something, you know, you might be aware of something good happening. But what I've noticed with me, it's more, this is the, this is actually you. That's the good thing that's happening. (laughs) You're, You're being you. And the more you be you, the more you wake up going, oh, something really good's happening. Yeah, what's really good is that you're becoming you. And it feels beautiful. And so I know that there's going to be people listening now that are far removed from that. You know, I know what it's like to be on the floor. I know what it's like to be terrified. I know what it's like to feel like no one is going to help or believe you. And what I realized, I was totally groomed police do believe you and if you don't find a police officer that does ask for another one and keep asking ask for a trauma-informed police officer you have rights and now more and more with police there's even dv units where they've got people trained to recognize you know just like with the gabby and brian she was the one that was apologizing that seemed like you know oh but i hit him first and i've got you know, um, OCD and I've got this and that's all the grooming. It's not who she is. That's a result of continual trauma where you start to lose who you are and you become this apologetic um, and you, you end up sprouting all the words that they said about you. You know, like one of the things I was told is because you're a psychic, because you're intu- an intuitive, um, you know, the police aren't going to believe you. I'm highly qualified and... You know, and so and you, you're the crazy person, and so you start to believe that narrative, that no one's going to believe you, and what I'm saying, guys, is that's a tactic, and um, and yes, okay, I acknowledge there are police officers out there that are exhausted, that um, just think why bother because they're just going to go back. I I know it's true, and I know that there are police officers that are horrible. However, more and more that's changing especially when they're being made more accountable. And I know for sure, factually, that there are police officers that get what trauma, they are trauma-informed and they totally have your back. And the court systems now, you're not, you know, 10, 15 years ago, court systems now are aware of the pathology. They're aware of histrionic personalities. They're aware of psychopathic personalities. Because the thing is, what you've got to realise, which you you won't now... But if you are dating a psychopath or a sociopath, you're not the only one that, they're, that they have affected. And so when you start to have your own boundaries, that in itself might be enough that they'll just leave you alone. However, if it does go to the court process now more than ever, there will be other people, other, other events that you can bring in that shows the personality traits beyond what he said, she said. And they will be there, trust me. And the other thing is the actual judges, they can sniff out. They can truly sniff out. And, um, and it's really about unlearning the abuse and, and really truly coming back into that centre of the flower. And it is a journey, I get it. However, boundaries are one of the ways that you can look after you and look after everybody And the interesting thing that I found out with boundaries, when I didn't have boundaries, no one could help me. 
And you might go, what? Huh? Yeah, because I didn't know I, I I didn't have boundaries on what was required. And also, there are many people that go, for example, to police to report, and they don't have boundaries, and they get manipulated by the police. Whereas, if you have boundaries on, I want to speak to a trauma informed person. I know this is domestic violence, and I need you to take a report. And if you're willing to have have your back and have these boundaries, you're going to get a police officer that will do that. When they see, because don't forget, perpetrators are everywhere and they're also in the police force. And so if you come in and you've got no boundaries and they probably think, oh, why bother? You know, she's just going to go back. And they might not do this cognitively. Whereas if you have boundaries, then you go, this is what I require. Next thing you know, you've got counsellors. Next thing you go, you've got police supporting you. Next thing you know, you've got court applications that are supportive um, and creating safety, security and support for you. All this happens, but it happens when you have boundaries. Now, I'm not saying you can't get help when you don't have boundaries. Of course, the police are there you know, to assist you, especially when you're vulnerable. However, because that not every police officer and not every judge and not every you know social worker and not every psychologist or court reporter is trauma informed or even is a you know maybe has the time or awareness you know they can make mistakes if you have your back then that makes everyone else switch on in other words oh i'm dealing with a person here that my job might be at risk so i need to make sure i take this report properly because you know what, she's the sort of person that has her back that if I don't write this report properly, it's going to come back and bite me. And you want to be that energy. That's energetic self-defense. And one of the biggest energetic self-defenses you can have is have boundaries. Now, boundaries are not walls. Boundaries are not conclusions. Boundaries are not judgments. Boundaries are a spacious awareness of what's true for you and that when someone's in your presence that is violating that or could violate that, you become aware of it and you act accordingly. And you have your back. So, it's a huge topic and I'm sure I'm going to be talking about more and more as things go on. Um, But the most important thing is write a list. What are your boundaries? And also, you know, maybe have fun with it. Like what, what boundaries would you like to create? You know, you know what? I drink too much or I smoke too much or I don't walk enough or I don't have enough water. Or, and you, you could have a boundary where you go, you know what? I'm having this much water a day and that's it. This is my boundary. And of course, if you're going to have days, if you were addicted to a thought pattern and you try to change it, right, you're going to have little slip ups. But when you do that, you go, cool, okay. Not right, not wrong, not going to go into wrongness or judgment. I'm just going to acknowledge all the times that I did drink enough water or I did go for the walks or I did whatever it is that you would, you know, stop drinking or I didn't drink as much or whatever it is. So start to create some, some nice boundaries that look after you, that you can just have in your inside voice, just between you and you, that this is changing. I'm not going to do this to myself anymore. And then look at just general boundaries, how you'd like to be treated. And most importantly, look at your deal breaker boundaries. And 
start to work out paraphrases or parrot phrases on if they are violated, what would you do? Because it's, it's okay when, when a green person maybe has a moment and does a pushback. If you say, hey, whoa, you know, you're pushing on my boundaries, you know, they'll go, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry, right? So it's not such, such a big deal. However, when you're dealing with an amber personality and a red personality, you know, a psychopath, sociopath, etc., you need to be really clear on what your parrot phrases are and go role play it, um, stick them around the room so you can learn the words and um, be your best friend. Because as I said, you know, it's such a joy. You can see it. You can actually see it. Once you come out of the trauma, you can actually see that when you have your boundaries, you can see the people backing away where they don't want to, um, it's too hard. And so it's such a beautiful way of having your back, having your family's back and having the planet's back, right? Okay, so um, take care this week and be kind to yourself. Again, don't turn boundaries against you. Don't use it as a weapon against you on how you're failing. You're not failing. It's really tricky to have boundaries if you were never taught it. It's really tricky to have boundaries when you don't even know what that looks like or have a reference point you know, for it. It's really tricky having boundaries when you're addicted to cortisol and stress. It's really tricky having boundaries when you've been groomed and abused and gaslit for years. It's a process. Be kind to yourself. Please, please, please be kind. Kindness and joy and laughter, they're beautiful things. And if you can do anything to bring more kindness to your life, more joy, more caring, that will be one of the biggest gifts that you can give yourself and the planet. So you're beautiful even if you don't feel it. You've got this even if you don't feel it. So bring in some energy and maybe just right now just open up to more space instead of the hypervigilance and the solidity of the abuse. Just for a moment, let's just open up to some space and allow some energy to come in. And maybe if it's okay, have a smile on your face right now. Even if you feel like crying, just have a little smile, not to fake it. Just allow your lips to come up and smile. And maybe put your hands on your belly and have a nice belly breath. So have a beautiful week. You're worth it. You have rights. You can do this. You've got this. Take care and I'll catch you next week. Bye-bye.